following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, we do in-depth interviews with some of today's most significant business leaders. Really good one today. We have Ethan Brown, the founder and CEO of Beyond Meat, which makes these futuristic plant-based burgers. Um, Ethan, thanks for coming on the show today. Listen, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to, to the discussion. So what is the latest and greatest in the meatless meat world? Great. So, so, you know, what our company set out to do um, beginning in 2009 was to take the animal um, out of the process of producing a piece of meat. And that sounds funny at, at first, uh, Blanche, but it, it's something that is actually achievable and makes sense from a scientific uh, perspective as well as a, a production perspective. And so what I mean by that is, is we're taking uh, the core parts of meat, and they're really five. There's the uh, amino acids, there's lipids. There's almost none, but there's a very small amount of, of carbohydrates. There's uh, trace minerals and there's water. It's predominantly water. We're taking all of those directly from the plant kingdom, and we're using a process of heating, cooling, and pressure to align the protein in the same form it would set up if it were a piece of animal muscle. Now, it's not exact, but from a sensory perspective, we're getting closer and closer to providing that meat-like structure so when you bite into a piece of our product, uh, you have the experience of biting into a piece of protein that's been stitched together in a similar fashion. You know, with that approach, we've been able to iterate over many years now uh, new products and, and offer them into the market. And I'm, I'm very pleased to say that this most recent product, the Beyond Burger, which is continuing to gain national distribution, is our best product to date. Now, there's, there's differences between it and its animal protein equivalent, uh, ground beef burger. But uh, we are uh, very rapidly collapsing those differences to the point where I think in the near future, you'll be able to buy one of these burgers and have it be almost exactly the same from a century experience uh, uh, to, to a piece of uh, ground beef burger. So what is in these burgers? Um, let's kind of pretend, I'm, uh, exp- pretend you're explaining it to my uh, three-year-old son and, and okay. explaining what he is eating. Like what are the <laughs> – yeah. what is the, the back of the label ingredients here and how do you – and I, I want to hear about this layering too. It's very it's fascinating. Sure. No, it's it's a wonderful project, and I'm very fortunate to be able to work on it. Um, so, if I were to explain to your your three year old, the first point I'd make is it tastes great. Uh, you know, it's it's something I have children who are now twelve and thirteen, and they eat obviously an enormous amount of our products, and I can always tell. You know, that, that it's just something that uh, uh, is going to be more broadly accepted if my kids like it, and they this burger they they absolutely love, and and uh, it begins with a uh, a yellow pea. Um, which is, uh, it, just, it doesn't have to be pea. It could be uh, really any legume or pulse that has a decent set of amino acids in it. Uh, the reason that peas are available is that they were scaled up for starch. And as a result of that industrial process for extracting starch from peas, uh, protein is available as well. Um, and so we work with suppliers that separate that protein from the fiber, and then we run that protein through, through our process. So the workhorse 
of the Beyond Burger is, is the simple and humble pea. Um, we then add into the burger uh, what we call the balance of parts of a piece of meat, which include you know, fat, which in, in our case we derive from, from coconut oil primarily, um, and then interstitial fluid or, or a blood-like substance, which we uh, keep very simple. Uh, we use a, a beet uh, beet extract to to achieve that, and you know the game here Wait, is. So let's go back to this. I want to hear about this plant blood. What is what is this? Sure, sure. So there's and there's two approaches to this. Um, you, know, you you could try to to actually go create uh, or extract rather a um, heme like substance from from plants. We have elected not to do that because we feel that it's very important to present uh, the product in a way that consumers can understand, feel comfortable with. You know, at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of truth to the Michael Pollans and, and other uh, points out there about people want to eat a lot like th- their grandparents did in terms of the ingredients. Maybe they're going to eat different things, but you know, we were conditioned over the course of evolution to avoid things that are unfamiliar to us because you know, they could kill you. Uh, and I think that that sits today uh, in terms of conservatism around what ingredients people are willing to use. So you have the concerns around GMOs, whether they're scientifically sound or not. People are worried about that, right? So what we've done is we've really focused on creating an ingredient label that is accessible as possible to people. So when we decided, okay, how are we going to represent interstitial fluid or blood? Uh, let's be simple. Let's go ahead and use beets because we know that people are going to understand what that is, where it comes from. And I have a very uh, uh, personal story about this. Um, so Don Thompson's on our board, uh, the former CEO of McDonald's. And several years ago now, I was with him and his wife, uh, Liz, who's a good friend now. And uh, was going through just the high science we have here, all the PhDs and how impressed I am. I really love our science group. They're just a, a fascinating group of people. And was, was maybe going on a little bit too much about them. And she stopped me and she said, you know, innovation is good for my iPhone, but I don't want to put it in my mouth. <laughs> and I just that, that just sort of stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> I was like, you know, you're right. And so we keep it simple. Uh, we, we, we use. Wait, that coming from McDonald's, that's kind of uh, that's kind of hypocritical, <laughs> right? Well, I think she was speaking for herself on that one, but but it's uh, you know it's it's something that I believe in as a principle uh, that if we're going to rebuild meat directly from plants, we have to do it in a way that's accessible to consumers and simple. And how do you build this burger? So you have the peas and the it's you know it's very it's it's it's, it's vegan, but it's obviously highly processed. Like how do you is it you put it together in a blender? Is it is it three D sure. printed? How do you put this all uh, this burger together? Sure. So I think and on the question process, it's probably the number one concern that we get from early adopters. Is this a processed food? And, and you know, of course, there are elements of processing to it. Um, but I, I, for me, I always stress that it's a tale of two processes and which one do you want? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, you know, you walk through the industrial meat process, uh, it's, it's not one that most people are willing to to delve into or want to. Um, and there's reason behind that. Right. There's there, there certain parts of it that we'd rather not think about that. Um, that uh, that involve you know sort of antibiotics et cetera that are concerning. Uh, in our case, what we're doing is we're taking this protein from the plant, and that's that's separated from the the balance of the fiber uh, simply by changing the pH level in water. We're then running it through a heating, cooling, and pressure process. That if you have a diamond or or, or um, uh, you know involved in that industry in any way, you would know that um, you know diamonds are formed largely through heating and pressure. So we're using some pretty elemental forces. To just restitch the protein, and that's kind of it, you know. So it's it's you can either run an enormous amount of plant matter through an animal, uh, then harvest the animal and have a piece of meat, or you can use science to harvest the protein directly from the plants and serve it as a piece of meat. 
I am absolutely convinced that the future of meat, not meat alternatives, not meat substitutes, but the future of meat itself will be one in which we are enjoying, whether it's you know sausages or steak or bacon, uh, in all of its glory, we'll be enjoying that, but it'll be made directly from uh, directly from from plants versus running that through an animal. How do you make plant bacon that tastes like bacon? <laughs> so, or is so that the goal? Not, is that is that the holy grail of the? Uh, absolutely, of the is a really important one. If people are willing to wear shirts that just say bacon on them, we think there's <laughs> we think there's a pretty strong market for it. Um, and and you know, there's over a thousand molecules that make meat taste and smell like it does, and those are obviously that reaction that occurs uh, when it's being heated um, is extremely familiar to us. I mean, we evolved consuming meat, um, you know, first as, as uh, foragers and then, and then ultimately as hunters and, and then finally as farmers of livestock. Um, and so I don't think that, that urge and that uh, desire for meat is going to go away anytime soon, um, nor should it. Meat has done us a, a, a pretty big favor in terms of the size of our brains and the you know, shrinking of our gut because we need less energy to digest nutrients. Um, it really led to, to, to sort of the type of uh, species that we are today. But we're also smart enough now to, to get ourselves out of predicament where we continue to try to run the food system through basically what's an antiquated bioreactor, which is, which is the, the animal. Uh, and we can bypass an animal and, and, and produce this meat directly, directly from plants itself. And you mentioned taste and smell of meat. What does a pea burger um, smell like when you're throwing it on the griddle? Right. So that's where these molecules come into play. And so, um, you know, we, we have uh, equipment here and, and researchers here that, that painstakingly uh, separate out through, um, through gases the, the, um, the specific molecules in a piece of meat and, and try to determine uh, what flavor and, and aroma is being contributed by uh, those molecules and, and their reaction under heat. Uh, we then try to match those uh, with, with similar molecules from plants. Uh, and do that in a way that provides the aroma in the case of beef, of beef cooking, in the case of sausage, sausage cooking, et cetera. So it's a, it's kind of a matching game and it's, it's, it's a, you know, we understand the blueprint of meat. You know, you can open up if you went to any land grant university in the country and, you know, go to their ag department, they're going to have a book on meat science. You open mm -hmm. it up, it says, you know, here's where the protein lays, here's where the fat lays, here's how the water distributed, here's where the tendon is. So these things are knowable. And then the parts that comprise that piece of meat. Are, are accessible. You know, you can go to, you know, we use pea today because it's available through mm. this, this starch industry that we talked about. Um, but, you know, in the future, you'll be able to get protein from lentils, uh, lupin, camelina, mustard seed, yeast, you know, name it. There's just so many different sources that, that we can pull from. And this is something that's really important from a business perspective. The American agricultural industry is well overdue for technological disruption. Mm -hmm. Uh, the last time that happened didn't go well, and and that was really in the 20s and 30s, with the increased use of combines and tractors. You know that led to a massive overabundance of particularly wheat, um, which which uh, you know pre was a precursor to the depression, and then of course was made more severe throughout the depression. Uh, from that point on, the government stepped in and has been subsidizing the industry and creating a distorted market. What we need to do. Uh, and, and by the way, all of that, uh, all of those resources are being uh, utilized toward a conversion mechanism. Let's say I'll take beef cattle, for example, mm -hmm. that takes between, depending on which uh, analyst you believe, uh, between 10 and 25 uh, pounds of feed for every one pound of consumable meat uh, that, that comes off the animal. Uh, that's not a good conversion uh, ratio. 
So what we want to do is encourage farmers to uh, stop growing commodity crops, soy, wheat, and, and, uh, and corn, for animal feed, which, by the way, consumes 80% of the arable land in the United States. So we're taking all of this abundance of resources. And a ton of water, I'm sure, too, right? Absolutely. And we're running it into this system of conversion, which has not changed much uh, uh, in a very, very long time. Uh, so, you know, we try to apply all of the technology, the Internet and you know, um, GPS, et cetera, uh, to make this system more efficient, the agriculture system. The problem is it's going toward the wrong end. Hmm. What we should do, right, is get out of the use of the subsidies, get out of the use of, of um, uh, uh, all these resources toward commodity crops. Let's open it up for farmers to grow protein directly from plants. That will set in place a wealth creation process within the farming community that I think would be unlike anything we've seen in a very long time. But the challenge is we have to make sure that the products deliver on a taste and sensory experience for the consumer, and that's what we're working on. Ethan, who is um, right now your who is your your customer? Is it a is it someone who's vegetarian or close to vegetarian or vegan that wants that misses kind of the burger experience or the meat experience, or is it for someone who is you know, who eats meat and is trying to, you know, kind of wean themselves off or eat less. What is your, who are you aiming for here? Right. And so it's, it's a funny question, which you've been asked. It's a good question, which you've been asked, um, you know, for, for, for years now. And I always give a frustrating answer because it's so many different segments of the population are coming at this. We love frustrating answers on this show. So, <laughs> okay. So, so it's, it's just that there's a lot of different segments. And so when I was first starting the company, you know, I had to just do the demos and stuff on my own. I was, this was in 2009, going to, to Whole Foods and, and, you know, pitching these products to consumers there. And, you know, I, I was living in Maryland at the time. So I spent you know, a lot of time at Whole Foods in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Ohio, you know, not exactly Martha's Vineyard or Marin County. Yeah, these aren't blue. We're not talking blue, <laughs> blue counties here. Yeah, Maryland. yeah, exactly. And what was fascinating to me was that women in particular would come up to me and say, you know, I can get my husband to eat this and he needs to. And it'd be because of heart disease, diabetes, you name the ailment. Um, and so we get a huge amount of population that's looking to make a change based on something their doctor said or a study they read or some news clip they heard about. But we also get millennials who are just interested in you know, authentic brands that can talk about you know, how their food is made and, and they can feel good about what they're, what they're doing. Uh, and then we have people who are interested in, in the environment. But the number one driver really is human health. And I can say that in anecdotal studies we've done, a big thing for us was to get into the meat case. You know, I've never wanted to be in the meat alternative section of mm-hmm. supermarkets. It's a penalty box. It's a place that people don't normally go. <laughs> penalty box. Well, I like that. Yeah. yeah it's, and so what I wanted to be was in the meat case. And if we're successful, we'll stay in the meat case. Today, we're in Safeway in the meat case. We're in, in, in Whole Foods. This morning, we just announced that we're going into Kroger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it's consumers that were, are going into that, into that meat section, at least within Whole Foods. We interviewed on the way out. About seven out of ten were, were were carnivores, but they were just looking for a way of basically having their cake and eating it too. Which is, look, if we can create a great burger that gives you the sensory experience of, of animal protein, uh, but maybe none of the downside with respect to cholesterol, et cetera, why not go for it? So we're finding that it's a pretty broad population that's interested. And taking a quick break to say this podcast is brought to you by Away. Away offers first class luggage at a coach price. Visit awaytravel.com slash Forbes and use promo code Forbes to receive $20 off a suitcase. That's awaytravel.com slash Forbes. And these days, business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward, 
With Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. And is it is it priced similar to a, like a high-end burger? Is it really a lot more expensive to make that sacrifice for people? It's two things. Um, today, it is more expensive. It's $5.99 for two quarter pounders. Uh, which is more expensive. It's 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 priced somewhat like a higher-end grass-fed beef would be priced okay. as a prepared burger. Uh, but here's the thing. There's nothing from a material perspective that should stop us from dramatically underpricing meat over time. And it's just all about scale. Like if you looked at, you know, Hormel or, or uh, Pilgrims or Tyson, did like a, a map of their facilities, we wouldn't even show up. We're so small. But yet we're already able to compete at a price that's reasonable relative to some of the other uh, choices in the market. Um, and as we, one, get scale and get leverage over our ingredient suppliers, but also continue to work on a continuous production process, we believe that we can bring the price of this well below meat. And I think for international markets, that's going to be a fascinating proposition. My hope is that we'll be able to, you know, when I go to Indonesia and place like that and, and you know, drive down the road, often I won't see telephone poles mm-hmm. because we just went right to the landline. It's my hope and aspiration that we can have that same kind of effect on the developing world where instead of exporting an inefficient animal production model, we can encourage farmers there to grow protein directly in their fields and harvest it for plant-based meat. The typical like American, how much meat do they have a day, a week? Is, do people have burgers a day kind of thing or what's the, the typical? It's not, it's not every day. Uh, the, 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 the beef um, market is a, about 105, I think $110 billion industry domestically. Um, but it's far more uh, than it used to be in the past. And, and the one that, that – I'm sorry. So beef, beef actually has, has, has declined somewhat in terms of consumption now. The, 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 the price of beef has risen, so the overall uh, economic value of the market uh, has, in fact, stayed constant or, 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 or risen a bit. But you see the entry over the last 100 years of new forms of, quote, unquote, meat. You know, poultry, for example, in the 20s was almost nonexistent in, mm-hmm. in, in mainstream markets as a, as a, as a meat. Um, but the broiler industry changed that uh, and, and, you know, the huge campaign to get people to consider chicken as a form of meat. Now, today, you know, our generation, my generation anyway, you know, we consider that meat. Right. Uh, but you talk to some old timers, they'll often differentiate between between uh, between uh, chicken and, and, and beef. And, and that's because I think, you know, chicken was a late entrant to to the kind of center of the plate offering uh, mm-hmm. that it has today. Take me back, Ethan. How this? You had a, you a very interesting career and interesting background. How did this idea get born? What what got you interested in this in the beginning, and how you go from an idea to actually making a complex product like this? Sure. Um, so thank you for the compliment. So so I um, was in the alternative energy space. I worked for a company um, for almost ten years that that um, produced hydrogen powered fuel cells. It was, and during the time that I was there. Uh, Ford and at the time Daimler Chrysler had a large ownership stake and a big say in, in what the company uh, was doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when was this? You know, this is obviously pre uh, pre yeah, Tesla the, and Volt and all those kind of things. Uh, exactly. At one point, Ballard, which is the name of the company, had a market cap that was higher than Ford, hmm. and so that just gives you a sense of, of of the impact of hype on the market. Are they still around? Yeah, yeah, great company, great people. Um, and so, uh, and, and fuel cells will come and, and they'll, they'll compete with the electric drive. Uh, but, but what was happening at the time was the price of platinum particularly was moving in the wrong direction. And that was a, a pretty important catalyst 
for for the technology, um, literally a catalyst. So um, it was it was problematic. But you know, I was in that field because I care a lot about climate change, um, and you know, it's great technology for that. As is you know what what uh, Elon Musk is doing and and others, solar, etc. But if you look at the facts and if you look at what's actually causing the vast majority of emissions, it's livestock. It's not actually energy, right? So energy is huge in terms of, you know, we have to change. We have to go to electric cars. We have to do all these things. But the number one thing that you can do most readily, most easily, and have the greatest impact is to change the protein at the center of the plate. And don't sacrifice. That, I think if we, if we were to say, hey, everyone just, you know, you got to do it for the good of the environment, it's good of your health. That's not how we think as consumers. We may aspire to be that way, but we don't, our, our purchasing behavior suggests otherwise. We have to inspire people to have this product. We have to make it so delicious that it's something that people are drawn to. Like you don't hear people arguing against the landline. You don't hear people saying the landline is bad for you. It's bad for the earth. You got to stop using it. They just like the iPhone better. We, we have to hold ourselves to that standard. Uh, and so I don't participate in the meatless Mondays or things of that nature because I don't want people to think about my product as something to have to sacrifice for. I want it to be something that they're drawn to and, uh, and love. So anyway, so I got into the field because of the, 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 the kind of growing frustration I had. And you mentioned livestock. Is that, is that like methane gas kind of release? It's, it's fascinating. So it, it's, it's, are we talking, are we talking cow, cow flatulence? <laughs> there is an effect. And I, I absolutely, one of the, one of the things that I just find almost humorous is you know, we're, we're really at a breaking point here uh, in terms of this model. You know, uh, you know, for example, you know, we haven't been farmers for that long, right? It was, so we were foragers, as I mentioned, then we became livestock farmers about 12,000 years ago. We've reached the end of that possibility in the sense of how much further we can grow. Um, you know, I, if, you, if you can look online, it's absolutely quite funny looking. You know, they're now trying to sequester um, <laughs> methane from cows by putting like a kind of capture balloon on their back. Um, you know, and so we're just getting to these absurd things that we're trying <laughs> that's to do. A, that's a business. <laughs> exactly. And when they invent one of those for people, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's literally gotten to the point where the boundaries have been, you know, basically pushed up against so strongly that, uh, that we're, you're, you're starting to see these kind of things that, that are borderline absurd. Um, but anyway, so it's a, there's a, there's a controversy in the UN climate world about this number, but I'll, I want to share it. So, uh, when I was growing up, um, I had the, a great opportunity to know a guy named Robert Goodland, who at the time was the senior most environmental advisor at the World Bank. So not the Sierra Club, you know, not Friends of the Earth, World Bank, which is often, you know, uh, a source of, of, of um, at least it is antagonized by the left. Um, but, you know, he wanted to understand really what was driving emissions. So he did a study without, an, you know, he didn't have an objective going in about what industry was going to emerge. And he slowly started to realize it was livestock. So he started to add up all of the different things, him and his partner, Jeff and Ang, that were contributing to the emissions profile of livestock, whether it was changes in the soil, deforestation, the methane that you mentioned, et cetera. He put the number at 51% of greenhouse gas emissions. Now the UN got all over that. And, you know, the UN has its own economic drivers, et cetera. Uh, but the UN put the number at 18%. Both are big numbers. But let's say he's wrong. Let's say it's 40%. It's still a really big number. 14% of that 51%. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, so, so 37%, then there's the, the remaining 14%. That 14% is simply due to the fact there's an enormous and unnatural number 
of animals on the Earth's surface. All of those animals breathe. When you breathe, you're respiring carbon. So it's not just the methane, it's also the breathing. And science can create a lot of things and solve a lot of problems, but you're not gonna create an animal that doesn't breathe. So again, there are these limits that we're pressed up against and it's time to change the system. And just taking a quick minute, so two friends from New York found themselves at JFK with dead cell phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Luggage with power. Thus, Away Carry-On Luggage was born. You can choose from eight colors and four sizes. The two carry-on sizes are able to charge anything powered by a USB cord. How long does that charge last for your, let's say, iPhone? Five times as long with a single charge of the Away carry-on. Also, Away offers a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. And now, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash Forbes and use promo code Forbes during checkout. Aggravated by sticky wheels? With Away, you get four 360-degree spinner wheels guaranteeing a smooth ride. And there's free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states. For $20 off a suitcase right now, visit awaytravel.com slash Forbes and use promo code Forbes during checkout. And this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, host of Mentoring Moments, where the boldest women in business sit down at my kitchen table to share their triumphs and their skids. Use the lessons you've learned to go on and have a healthy relationship. Don't let your heartbreak just stay that way. You never know in your life when you take just a little bit of time to do one thing for another person, how it may impact her entire life. We're not just talking, we're taking action. You've got life in front of you, and yeah, you can stand on the sideline and watch it go by or you can leap in and take the bruises and take the punches and then you get up and you're stronger for it. Just jump in and embrace it. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Every bunny loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration, and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stocking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! How did... Um, Beyond Meat first look? What was your first step yeah. to going from, you know, alternative energy and fuel cells to right. to uh, human fuel, I guess? Thank you for saying that. Because people are always like, hi, how are you doing this change? It's like, it's the same thing. Um, and so uh, I, I'm a curious person. I love to read and research and things like that. And so, you know, this is really a story also about the internet. Like I just would come home from work and uh, do, do what I was going to do with my kids and my wife. And then I would stay up and I would just read online about you know, how do you basically create meat-like structures? You know, what, what's the what's the science behind it? Who's doing the best work? I talked to people who were in the in vitro meat, you know, growing meat in a lab, that type of thing. Hmm. Um, is that still I, going on? It is going on, and it's interesting. But having come out of fuel cells, I was worried about the the time frame on, on that particular effort. Um, I think someday it will be uh, a, a contributor. Um, but it came across uh, some researchers at the University of Missouri, and uh, gave them a call, and we started talking. Um, and they, you know, they had some a really great platform for essentially aligning protein in the form of muscle, like stitching it together in a similar fashion to muscle. 
So uh, went out and visited with them and, you know, hit it off. They were just two really just salt of the earth, outstanding people, um, Harold Huff and Fu Hong Shea. Um, and we worked together for over two years. Uh, I would fly back and forth between Maryland where I was living at the time and St. Louis on Southwest and just back and forth, back and forth with huge bags of, of at the time it was a chicken product. Um, and, and we set up production and, and uh, kind of we're off to the races from there. But even before that, and this is, a, this is something that's important to our company, you know, I, I, I imported products from Asia that I thought were the best in Asia and sold those into Whole Foods. And, and you know, why I say that's important is that we're a company that iterates in the public eye. Like every year we challenge our scientific team to put the best product out that they have at the time. And then we spend you know, an enormous amount of time, energy, and money to make that product obsolete. And try to improve it, improve it, improve it, improve it, until such point that it's indistinguishable from animal protein. So, and I, and I love that about the company because it's a, it's a true north. It's we know exactly what we need to achieve. Uh, you know, we've been blessed to have the resources made available to us through some great investors. Got a great team together, and year after year they go at this north star, which is animal protein. And we're getting closer. The products that are in the market today in the frozen section are not as good as the product that's in the in the meat case. And that's just because of time. How did you get going? How did you, do you have a lab? How did you get funded? What's, what's how, yeah. like, give me the blueprint for someone who's looking to, you know, break into a really futuristic and, um, you know, tough business like you guys are in. Well, I think it's, it's um, I started just with my own money and, and you know, I, I um, borrowed against my house, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, it's funny where we talk about what, what accounts you're going to leave untouched so that if everything goes wrong, you know, you'll, they'll still be there. And of course, then you just blow through all of those. And, and I did all that and, you know, was <laughs> running out of money. Um, and, you know, not just because of that, but I, I would plan to do anyway, because I think this needs to be done at a really big scale. I, I, once I signed the license with the University of Missouri, um, I went out to, to the BC market and, you know, it was just really lucky. Um, uh, at the same time, Time Magazine came in and ran an article on the technology. Um, and that, that created um, uh, interest from Kleiner Perkins. Um, and you know, I can remember talking to a friend of mine who had been, been a part of a company that was funded by Kleiner. And he said, you know, even if the business is a complete disaster, you know, uh, as long as, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, do the things that you say you're going to do and try. Uh, getting involved with Kleiner is probably one of the best things you could possibly do. And he was totally right. Um, you know, they they uh, are tough but but fair um, and have supported the company um, now for you know six or seven years. Um, and uh, wouldn't wouldn't be here without them and a lot of the other partners and investors I have. Is that because Kleiner has a kind of a green? Is that part of their green fund? Yeah, at the time they had a fund. I think they've retired the fund, um, but uh, yeah, it was part of a part of. A, and you know, again, I think it speaks to the the model that, that if you really want to make a a, a change in, in in the environmental arena, this is the right place to go. And and you personally, are you are you a vegan, a vegetarian? Do you eat or do you eat selective selective meat now and then? Right. So I am vegan, uh, but because we do all this tasting and stuff here, I do eat and spit out. Uh, animal protein and meat, but but you know I, I am someone who doesn't think of myself really as a vegan. I mean I'm, I think of myself more as someone who's eating plant based meat, and and uh, and that seems to work for me. That'd be a good video. You guys taste testing uh, meat. In the, in the, <laughs> it's like a fine wine, right? The the, the spit bowls, right? 
exactly. Exactly. And is your focus now, are you looking to kind of master the burger or are you looking for other things? Like you mentioned chicken before and I don't know, there's yeah. a fish alternative. What's, or is it laser focused on, on the big burger, the kind of American classic? That's a great question. Um, so, and the burger is a cool thing in general. I mean, it, it's, um, and, and, and we, the things we assume as fixed in our culture are, are so far from that. Um, it's interesting to me. I mean, the burger a hundred years ago was not what it is today. It was considered a food for, for, for poor people who, who had basically poor hygiene and, and, and teeth and, and, and couldn't handle a tougher steak. So they minced it up. And, and the reason it's in a bun actually is that it, it often was served um, at night shifts on food trucks and there was no you know plates or silverware. And so, um, you know, I, I look at those stories and, and, and have hope that, you know, as much as all this seems so fixed, uh, it is, it is in fact, um, has some fluidity to it and, and we can change, you know, heating behavior. It's like the blue, but, it's uh, like the blue jeans of, uh, of food, right? It, yeah, it was for poor yeah. people. Now you're walking around wearing people wearing $300 <laughs> pairs. Yeah, my parents would always just shake their head as I like tried to create rips in my jeans. You know, they're like, "What the hell are you doing?" But, um, but exactly. So, um, but we yeah, perfecting the burger is big. I mean, we're not going to stop. And this is a difference again between ourselves and maybe some of the competitors we have. You know, I, I went to visit a very large food company when I first started Beyond Meat, and um, they wanted to license what we we're doing. And I asked them at the end of the meeting, "How many researchers do you have?" working on plant-based meat. And they said, oh, we have one half of one full-time food scientist. And I said, well, that's just terrible. Um, you know, this is a serious global problem. Um, it needs uh, a serious um, initiative behind it. Our research center is called the Manhattan Beach Project, and that's because we're near Manhattan Beach. But but also, I wanted people to, who, to understand that if they're coming here, they're expected to be the best and brightest scientists in the world, that we're going to fund them in a way that's not a culinary exercise, but is a scientific exercise. And we're going to get out of their way. We're going to give them a very clear goal. And I think that was that's obviously what happened during the Manhattan Project. But um, so next, it will be a, a better burger. We have a, a version 2.0 that we're going to release at some point next year. Um, but we're also going into the other categories. You know, we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to look at each species. I mean, the dream and the, and the hope and, and whether we're going to be successful or not, I think, will be very plain to see. If you walk into a supermarket and the meat case is offering, you know, pork, poultry and beef, mm-hmm. but it's also made from plants, not just from animals. We've been successful. Uh, if it's dominated only by animal protein and we're continued to be viewed as a niche project, uh, where we have, we were not successful. And kind of like what's your, your, let's say 10 years from now, where do you see this going in terms of, I mean, I know, I'm sure I know what your ideal situation is, but really like, where are we going to be in 10 years besides hopping in our self-driving electric cars and we're having the cars themselves pick up our, uh, our lentil, lentil ribeyes. (laughs) I like that image. Um, so it's funny. I'll tell you something that I said to, so Tyson is an investor in the company. And I said, you know, if, if we were to work together, I, I would make a commitment that within, and I think I can do it inside of 10 years, we'd be the biggest division in that company. Now, whether or not we end up doing something together, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, I do believe that this is inevitable. And that if we don't get it right, someone's going to get it right. Um, you know, there you can build a piece of meat directly from plants. It's delicious. And it stops the conversation, stops the arguing, stops the, you know, should we do this, should we do that? It's just a better product. And so we can do that, and if we if we if we don't screw it up, uh, you will see us uh, in the meat case, uh, as you mentioned, with uh, you know with, with lentil versions, with lupin versions, camelina, you know fava bean, mung bean, all these different things. You'll be able to go to the meat case and buy 
sausage and burgers made out of those proteins that are that are indistinguishable from from the animal protein equivalent. And if you do it right and and you're able to, and we're not there yet. I mean, we're, we're very humble about that. We recognize our differences, but if you can get there, which we think we can, then the question is, why not? Why wouldn't you do this? You know, and and I think consumers would struggle to provide a a, a you know why I'm going to ignore this if it truly tastes the same and gives you the the, the benefits but not the drawbacks of, of animal protein. So then I think the second part of the answer is so I talked about the supermarket. Second part of the answer is fast food. I made a commitment. You know, my kids are 12 and 13. That by the time they drive, uh, they'll be able to go to McDonald's and have a Beyond Burger or whatever the equivalent of that is, and at that period in time, without it being an event, with it just being so. Um, so common that you know someone else orders a Chick Fil A and they order a, they order a Beyond Burger. Um, that's that's that that would be success for us, and that's possible. Uh, things are moving very quickly. We're going to need a whole new lexicon of, of meat. That's and, what and I hope. Chickenless chicken I'm, meat. I'm, gonna, it has to be a little has to be a little zippy, you know. That's the hope. You know that is the hope that and and, and it's we use language all the time today that actually doesn't connect fully to to its origin. And so if you look at you know if we can get people to think about poultry. Uh, beef uh, and pork, not necessarily as the animal, right? Not as a as a cow, chicken, or pig, but as a category of food, uh, and provide the sensory experience, the nutritional basis, et cetera. I think we can get somewhere. Yeah, you know, we can always use McNugget because it doesn't involve any, doesn't actually name the animal. I've always said that. I said, I've said, why isn't that white stuff our white stuff? <laughs> and you mentioned, yeah, we don't. Who knows what the white stuff is? You mentioned the um, you work with Tyson. How how does that work? Because they're just such a you know behemoth of you know they feed you know millions of people, but also I'm sure they cause a lot of the the or their industry causes a lot of stuff that you're worried about. How does you know how do you balance someone who is causing the pollution you're trying to stop? Right. So I think a really interesting statistic about Tyson is that Tyson touches two out of every five plates in the United States. I, I find that astounding. Mm. Um, uh, but you know, if you if you go inside Tyson, which I have the opportunity opportunity to do now, and you meet many of their leadership, I was just out there last week. Um, you know, these people view themselves as um, as uh, a protein company first and foremost, uh, not an animal protein company per se, but a protein company. Um, they want to serve a growing market. They see some of the same issues we see. Um, and you know, I've actually been very impressed with the leadership out there and the forward thinking, uh, way that they're approaching, uh, this market, um, and, and their own. I think there's a lot of things they don't want to be involved in. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, lot of benefit to, to going in this direction. And, and if we can partner together and do it, you know, why not? Look, if you're part of mainstream America, you're consuming products made by Tyson and made by others. Yeah. Um, let's, let's get about working together to see if we can, I'm not saying anything that's, you know, I'm not, not speaking negatively about the products they're serving today. No. But let's see if we can offer, you know, the next generation, you know, iPhone, for example, and right? Let's see if we can innovate. These massive, you know, corporations, you know, they have so much R&D, whether it comes to processing or comes to breeding or even just transportation. Are they putting big R&D into this, into protein other sure. than animal protein? Or are they letting you, know, you guys do the work? Really that's a good question. And, and so we have, we have an amazing scientific group here. I mean, they're just, they, they all came, many of them came out of medical, working on cancer and stuff like that. I said, look, why don't I do this? Right? This is something that, that, you know, study the disease of man, study the food. You know, it's, it's let's, let's get into preventative medicine. And that's why they view themselves, uh, that's what they view themselves as doing here. Um, but I do have to say, you know, I, I salivate somewhat at the meat science group at Tyson. Mm. I mean, you know, if, if we could marry their strength with our strength, uh, you know, we could accelerate things. And, and, and you know, that, that's 
could be said too about some of the universities throughout the United States that have sound meat science departments. You know, there, there's if you get away from the us versus them and you just say, hey, like, how do we create protein for the future and get away from all of the ideolo ideological debates? You, know, you get the best people working on the problem and you come up with a really good solution. Yeah, it's kind of like all the big oil companies also have big green tech arms because they know what's uh, coming down the down the line. They know what's coming. They know what's coming. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and again, it gets back to the consumer too. Like, let's not alienate the consumer. The consumer needs to feel good about what they're doing. You know, they've been enjoying. Look, you know, what I always talk about this, but the Thanksgiving Day NFL game. You know, they're literally interviewing people as they're pulling off. You know, uh, turkey legs. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of our culture. You know, uh, we can continue to celebrate many of the the things around meat. Uh, but it's just coming from plants. Again, just in the same way that, you know, we no longer use a landline, we're using a, a mobile phone. If we get it right and others like us, uh, yeah, that'll just seem like a no-brainer. Well, it's amazing, Ethan. I really appreciate the time. Um, Ethan's going to be the future creator of the of the vegetarian turkey leg. <laughs> hey, man, really great. Thank you so much for having me and, and uh, appreciate your work. It's a, it's a cool segment. Awesome. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, have you heard? Podcast One has a whole bunch of awesome new shows filled with big names that are waiting for you on our brand new amazing app. This one's a game changer. There's Norman Lear talking to Amy Poehler, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Charles Barkley. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with Brian Cranston, Josh Gad, and soon Neil Patrick Harris. Nice. OC Real Housewife, Heather Dubrow's World, Lady Gang's Three Mimosa Podcast with Leah Michelle, Nelly Furtado, L. King, and more. Plus every episode of The Adam Carolla Show, Dan Patrick, and Rich Eisen. And if you like what happens in the ring, we've got Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Chael Sonnen, and a whole bunch more. So download our one of a kind new app and see for yourself. Go to the App Store, Google Play, or download it now at podcast1.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.